This is No Training Wheels, and I'm your host, Rob Kelly. I've been interviewing people professionally as a lawyer for the better part of 15 years now. And sometimes you just know when you sit down and talk with somebody that the interview you're about to have or the interview that you're currently having is solid gold. When I started talking with Colin Reuter of Road Results and the president of the New England Bicycle Racing Association, I quickly came to realize that this interview was going to be solid gold. I had so much fun talking with Colin. We talked about rankings. We talked about upgrades. We talked about what it takes to get a through axle out of your knee. We are all inherently obsessed with finding out where we fit in in the bike racing world. There's no good reason why other than it seems to be ingrained in our psyches that we want to see how we stack up against everybody else or more importantly how we stack up against those people who we see every Saturday and Sunday during the warmer months of the year or in some cases the colder months of the year too. This interview hopefully goes down in the annals of great interviews. So I really hope you enjoy my interview with Colin Reuter. Why don't we start with you introducing yourself? What's your name? Oh, my name's Colin Reuter. And who are you, Colin? Who am I? These days, I guess my biggest claim to fame might be that I promote the uh, the Weasels series of events up here in New England. Uh, that, of course, would be Ice Weasels, Night Weasels, and Gnar Weasels. Um, I'm also the lead developer at BikeRidge.com for a day job and sometimes a night job. A long time ago at this point, I started some websites called Cross Results and Road Results. These are my various claims to fame. Um, oh, and actually, uh, six weeks ago, I got a through-axle lever through my knee, which actually is my real claim to fame these days. And if anybody wants to see those pictures, I think we found not just the pictures, but maybe a video. There, I mean, there is a video of the crash, and it has, if you pause it at the right moment, you can see the through-axle lever in my leg. And how's that leg doing these days? Things are good. Things are good. I would say I could ride my bike at 97% of my normal mediocrity. Indistinguishable <laughs> from normal me to anyone except me who knows that like I have at least five more watts that I'm missing. It's those last five watts that are always the hardest to get, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Like if I had five watts, I'd be, I'd be winning those, these Cathy races instead of getting 30th. And one of the things I think that nobody really understands until you see the picture is the only way for them, meaning the medical care providers, to get the through axle out of your leg was to take the fork and the wheel with them. Right. Like you have this idea that, um, or I had this idea when I was lying there freaking out that when the ambulance showed up, they would just take the bike out of me and I'd be like, good to go again. Um, but yeah, when the EMT appeared on the scene, he's like, oh no, we don't take impalements out in the field. You're going to go in the ambulance. And then there's like an entire bike attached to me. And they're like, okay, well, you actually can't go in the ambulance like this. We're going to have to like disassemble it and then get you in. Um, so that was an adventure for sure. Uh, I would not recommend it from a pain or you know, a uh, fright standpoint, but if, if you want to be viral on the internet, uh, it is pretty good, much better than just like breaking your collarbone or something. This is all about being an ambassador for the sport. And, you know, you are now the official ambassador for through axles. 
I think um, I think I des- I'm going to deserve, deserve a lot of credit when in two years there's not a single race bike that has those levers on it still. Uh, someone just sent me specs for the uh, the Cannondale like 2020 CAD 13 or whatever, and yeah, the three axles uh, don't they're they're bolt ons now. So I'm taking credit for that one. Outside of bike ride, road results, cross results, results boy, the night weasel, ice weasel, weasel series. You're also the president of the New England Bicycle Racing Association. Yeah, that's right. Actually, that's, yeah. Did you know that I do a bunch of bike stuff, right? That being the president of Nebra ranks like fifth in my uh, claims to fame. Um, yeah, so I've been the president of Nebra now for for a year. Um, and I'm sure you know, as a former president of a local association, it's um it's a blast. You know, you just just trying to deal with a uh, bike race administration <laughs> day in and day out. So a lot of the people who listen to this podcast, you know, the locusts had started as Mabra. So, you know, DC, Maryland, Delaware, Virginia, West Virginia. How big is, is Nebra for those of us in, I mean, in who never go North of Philadelphia? Right. Right. It's the same way I feel about going South of New York city where it's, it's effectively the Mason Dixon line in my book. Yeah. So Nebra is, you know, it's new England. So Connecticut, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, Vermont, New Hampshire, Maine, but I mean, sanctioned, sanctioned serious bike racing in New England exists primarily in Massachusetts and Connecticut. One of the things we'd like to change, but kind of lack the power to, is to more events in the northern states. Maine especially is like quite, quite low on events. Vermont has some like pretty, pretty big time stage races that, you know, make it a destination. But for the most part, we're, we're almost like the Massachusetts Bike Racing Association at times. Um, although Connecticut, Connecticut does a, a good job of having lots of events and racers too road racing you know nationwide has has taken a hit here and there but i feel that mabra nebra a lot of the east coast racing is is still doing on the road racing side decently well has that been your impression from your position it's been interesting to try to like follow the trends and see where things are going the thing we've noticed at least up here is that it seems like there's been more of a decline in road racing than crit racing it makes sense as people gravitate more toward um experiential type events you know my my uneducated well semi-educated analysis is that it's easier to sit in a crit than a road race for the most part um, so the, the appeal of crits has remained higher uh, than road racing, whereas road races tend to be ex- are more expensive. So they need more entrance to be financially viable. And at the same time, a lot of times up here, they end up being quite selective uh, with the hills, which means that of the potential participants, only a small percentage can really succeed. That depresses turnout more so than crits. So let's talk about results. You know, cross results uh, is something that started a, a few years back, and that was that was your genesis. That was your baby. What I, is cross results? I, I love that. I love that we can call something approaching thirteen years old a few years back. Uh, that makes me feel super old. But yeah, so in two thousand six, uh, I had just moved up to Boston and just kind of discovered bike racing as a hobby, and I was a nerd. Uh, charitably. It's okay to admit your nerddom. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, if, if you couldn't tell from like my list of Palmars that are very related to computers, uh, I'm kind of a dork. So I had some free time 
and I raced my first season across and I went to, I went to get a cat three upgrade after two months of racing. This is back before cat five existed. So don't, don't think I was terribly precocious. I raced cat four for a while, won a bike race. Uh, it was time to get out of there. And so I logged on to USA Cycling's website and there was a link to like uh, race results and it like hit me. I was like, Oh my God, of course, like it's 2006. The internet knows everything. Like when I click this link, it's going to have all the races I did all fall. Cause you know, 20 2006 data is out there now. And I clicked it and it had like one race I had done. I was like, this is, this doesn't make any sense. Like I know the data is there. I know I saw the results on bike ridge. They should be in this database, but they're not. And I was like, well, maybe someone, maybe I should make that database. And it was just like the sweet spot in my life where I like suddenly I had free time and energy and I was like, well, I'll just start playing with this. And the next thing you know, I'm like, Oh, I'm actually really enjoying playing with this. And then I like, so I bought the domain cross results and like posted, you know, this results database. And then, uh, and then other people were like, Oh, this is like quite useful. And then like all of a sudden it just blew up. And I was like, Oh, now I'm the de facto, like I'm the results guy because I made this thing. And then, so two years later, um, my friend that was a crappy cross racer, but a good road racer was like, I want a website that makes me feel better about myself than your stupid cross results site. So why don't you make road results? I said, no, cause I don't race road. We're just stupid. And he said, what if you, what if you make it and I upload all the data for you? And I said, all right, that's the deal. I think that a lot of people just by listening to this small snippet of you talking realizes that there's a, there's a degree of sarcasm and irony that comes into your voice and your approach to bike racing. I think if you take bike racing that seriously, you don't last in it very long. Um, and I've been around for 13 years. So I guess that tells you how seriously I can take it. I love it. I love it, but it's just bike racing. I mean, if you even look at the website, if you look at the road results website and you start digging through things, I mean, you'll find that the FAQ page is written in all caps with, with uh, icons of screaming animals. Or if you want to report a bug, it requires you to complain egregiously and demand a time machine and a refund. How much of this website is serious and how much of this website is, okay, guys, let's stop taking ourselves so seriously. Right. Well, it's funny because you know, I started out, the whole idea was like, well, I'm just a guy, you know, in his bedroom doing this for fun. Like I shouldn't be, I shouldn't be an authority to any degree. So I basically, the res- you know, the responsibility of, of treating yourself like a real website was, was more than I could handle. So everything, everything's done in kind of like a joking fashion where I'm like, I'm just, I mean, I'm just a dude compiling data. You know, there's, this doesn't mean, none of this means anything except, you know, then, rankings started getting posted and we're, we're calculating points and like let's get you know you get right down to it It doesn't matter if you want to be an authority or not like if you once people start paying enough attention you become an authority whether you want to be or not so you know the the sarcasm and general jokey tone of everything yeah i think is me at this point it's me trying to like shirk the responsibility of uh, being a being a borderline sanctioning body just by posting all the results. But when you talk about the results for people in in these races, you're talking about it in kind of a tremendously realistic way. I mean, when you look at the results, you'll note if somebody finishes off the back. Right. That's, that's funny. That's because that's something that like, uh, you know, 12 years ago to me was just like factual, you know? And I was like, well, we have times, right? So we can, we can calculate all this kind of metadata around a race where, you know, you look at race results and you might see like all these, you know, all the times next to someone, but like 
we can add some icons that show you like what the finished groups were and like, you know, maybe you won the sprint from your group. Um, and at that, at that point as a 24 year old with maybe less emotional intelligence than he has now, I was like, you know, you're off the back, but no big deal. Right. You can, but now part of me wonders if explicitly denoting an off the back finish is like a bad thing, right? Like other sports don't point out that you effectively failed. Right. But that's always how it's, you know, it's, that's always how it's been. We haven't changed it yet. And so you can be off the front, you can be off the back. You can win the group. You can lose the group. For me, it was just about like what other attributes can we extract from results beyond just what place you finished in. Now, what's the story with the syringe? Oh my God, the syringe. So yeah, here's, I mean, here's another thing that has evolved over the years. You should, you should know there's a few people that have had syringes taken down for various reasons, specifically that I don't feel like dealing with someone who wants to sue me. Um, but right, I mean, as, a, as an amateur racer, there's really like nothing that offends me more than someone who's going to cheat at my hobby, right? Like I'm in a way like cheating at business is more understandable to me than cheating at a hobby. I think back in probably 10 years ago at this point, some guy got popped for doping and he was a cat three or he had started doping as a cat three. I don't even remember. And someone was like, you should just mark him with like a syringe on road results. And this was before, this was before Bike Reg owned it, before I worked for Bike Reg. So there was no like checks and balances on what I did. I was just a guy in his bedroom doing stuff. So I was like, hell yeah, I'll put a syringe on that. And then, you know, most people love it. They're like, yeah, that dude's a cheater. Um, so now whenever someone, whenever someone gets popped for doping, I get emailed right away from concerned fans that want to make sure that person, you know, gets marked with a syringe. And then it turns out the, the ethics of having like the syringe on you for life. Um, they're not as straightforward as I thought, as I thought they'd be. You know? I mean, what are some of the issues that you've been facing? Cause I know that there's been feedback. Maybe the road results syringe is like the only lifetime ban people get, you know, like you can, you can test positive for EPO or testosterone or like whatever. And you sackle ban you for two years, but then when you come back, you're back, right? Like there's no, the guys you race against don't get a letter in the mail that says, Hey, this dude that beat you got popped three years ago. But when they go to road results, they'll see this guy got popped three years ago. So even though he's allowed to race, he can never like let it go or never get away from it. Who knows if that's good or like the right way to do things. You know, I used to think it was definitely the right way to do things. And now I'm not sure. But I mean, you link it to verified. Yeah. Oh yeah. There's no question of did this person dope? But the question is, if you dope, should it follow you for the rest of your life? Like USA Cycling says you can come back after two years. And we say you can come back, but we're going to tell people. And I don't, I don't really know which of those is right anymore. Has anybody ever kind of come to you and said, hold on, Colin, hold on, road, road results. You're being a little too honest with people about their results or the way that you present the information. Uh, maybe, I mean, saying a little too honest is maybe giving me too much leeway. Uh, I've certainly had some people that didn't want their results uh, posted on the site. So we just take them down. I'm not out to argue with anyone about like what's in the public record. Yeah. I haven't had anyone like say systemically, like this is bad that you have a results database. People are more like, I don't want my name on your website because reasons. And then I'm like, cool, no problem. It's gone. I know about it because I've dealt with you for the last two years or worked with you for the last two years on it has been the series scoring road results, cross results, they've stepped up and they've kind of become the aggregator for series results like the properties on the Potomac Road Cup or the Super Series or the Sportif. Right. How did you get into this? Right. It's, it's just one of those things where you do it because it, it would be terribly stupid not to do it. You know, there's all these, 
there's all these series happening like all over the US. Um, and honestly, there's some outside the US, like the ones in Sweden that we do. Um, but like databases are better than spreadsheets at, you know, maintaining and tracking a series. And, you know, looking at web pages is better than looking at like a Google Doc. So, you know, I think it started at this point probably 10 years ago with the Nebra rankings, or maybe it was the uh, the Vittoria cross series where someone was like, hey, can you, could you do the standings? And I was like, yeah, it's actually super easy to do standings from a database where like all the data is just pulled together. I just, yeah, I did, I did it because I couldn't not do it. It was too painful to me to know that people were out there like manually typing data into like an Excel sheet and trying to like link stuff up and then posting like PDFs of the sheet or whatever. So we did it better because we could. And now you're the official scoring system for USA crits and some really top flight, you know, right. series. Yeah. And like, once again, it's, you know, USA crits wants to get their stuff up and it's better when their rankings, you know, links to rider profiles and, you know, has this like interactive experience versus them just, you know, they're like raw data. So, so out of all the series that you help run the scoring of what's the most convoluted or complicated scoring system. I want to be able to tell you that it's Mabra and you're close about it. You guys are up there because you have these like cutoffs and the number of scoring races you can have by race type, right? Like it's like top four crits, top three road races, top one GC, stuff like that. But I think the, the new England, um, the bumps series is actually maybe the most convoluted. So bump stands of course for bike up mountain pass series or maybe mountain peaks series. And what it is, is it's a hill climb series, um, which you might think is really straightforward, except that the points you get are all based off not your finishing position, but your percent back from the overall winner. So there's like a whole, there's a whole type of like time-based math that goes into their series scoring um, that no other series has. So it's actually, it's actually pretty cool. And I think like really quite fair and I like that they do it, but as far as like weirdness and scoring that, you know, honestly code that exists just for them that no one else will ever use. It's for sure. Like the math they have to do with times to figure out how many points you got based on, you know, your percent back. Chapter two here uh, of this interview about something that road results and cross results does very well, but it does it in a unique way. And that's the concept of ranking. There's a section for the road results page that's called the graphs O stuff. Right. And before we get to talking about how graphs of stuff work, I want to ask you kind of more of an esoteric question. Are we as bike racers, are we as athletes obsessed with ranking ourselves? Yes. Okay. I think, I think humans in general, the kind of humans that gravitate toward a competitive sport as a hobby are like very much interested in, in ranking. Like that's the reason you do it, right? If you want to go for, a, I mean, if all you want to do is ride your bike, you don't race your bike. The whole, you know, the whole point of racing is to see who's faster. And then once you're, you know, in that mindset, any way to analyze, you know, the faster part of it becomes compelling. When I started in college, I was, uh, you know, I was at Kansas. So that means we were obsessed with basketball. So anytime ESPN would come out with a new power rankings for the KU basketball team, I had to, you know, dive into it and tear it apart and Mm -hmm. wonder why, you know, Duke was ahead of KU that week. And then when I moved to Mississippi and I went to Ole Miss for law school and, you know, the Ole Miss team was decently good in football, you know, I was doing the same thing again. 
I mean, what is it about rankings? I mean, we're trying to compare ourselves all the time. I mean, I got uh, training peaks and I looked at training peaks and it's like, oh, you are a really top quality cat four sprinter, Rob, by your power numbers. <laughs> and I just don't understand this ethos of wanting to compare, compare, compare. But then again, I do it too, you know, like, even with this podcast, I try to compare myself to other podcasters and go, well, I have more plays than that podcast or less plays than that podcast. Is this a healthy thing? Is it a healthy thing? I'm going to say no, but it's, it's an inevitable thing. I think ideally everybody is a Zen master who's totally, totally at, at, at peace with their place in the world and sees no need to compete with anyone because they're, they're, you know, satisfied with who they are. But I mean, that's, that's not really how the world works. You know, we're, what kind of like competition is in, ingrained in the human condition to some degree. I'm sure like I'm sure Dar- Darwin would tell you that, you know, of course you're competitive because you need to reproduce, you know, if you're not the best podcaster, how are you going to pass your genes on? I don't think you can really get away from that. Um, I think, I think people enjoy trying to find like different, different slices of life that they can be genuinely good at since most of us are pretty mediocre on average, you know, like very few of us are LeBron James. But, you know, maybe I could be like the best cat three in Massachusetts for like a month or two. And like that, you know, that's, that feels good. So how does the road results ranking system work? Yeah. So this is, um, this is interesting because the, the, the basic goal is that we're trying to, we're trying to, we're trying to distill your entire bike racing ability down to a single number. Um, and of course, anyone that really knows bike racing will tell you that's impossible, but you know, part of the, it's part of why we try. So it's actually based off how international Nordic skiing does its rankings. So it's, it's like golf and that lower points are good. The thing with the, the way skiing does it is the, there's like basically a handicap for a race where, you know, the, the, the points you get are based on who is in the race and specifically who the fast guys in the race were, you know, where if, if I go if I go to like a local high school race and beat a bunch of 17 year olds, like that's not as impressive as beating a bunch of, you know, like national quality athletes, you know? So like the, the idea of, you know, Oh, your rank is based on getting first, like doesn't hold up in this model because like who you got first against is much more important than like the place you got, um, you know, like getting, getting 12th at like USA crits race means a hell of a lot more than getting first in like your local cat five office park criterion. You know, the, the points you score for any given race, they're, they're based on how fast the fastest guys were and then how fast the average quality of the field was. We've seen other ranking systems where they take the f- top five or whatever, and then they compute. How does your system compare to that? I think when you say other ranking systems, you might just be talking about uh, USA Cycling, which... That's true. Yeah. So... This is funny that here we are five, five years ago, I would have been like, well, everyone knows USA Cycling copied cross and road results. And now people don't probably, which is why I have to go on podcasts and talk about it. Um, but yeah, please, please. I didn't, I honestly didn't know that. Okay. So the, the USA Cycling ranking system is a very slightly modified version of cross and road results. The answer to how they're different is actually, they're really not very different. I think they actually drop more races than we do. Um, there's kind of a difference in the ethos in that they want to rank you based on your like best three results or best five results in the last 12 months. Whereas um, cross and road results try to take like more of a rolling average of, of your more recent races. So if you race a lot, you can fear your road and cross results rankings will be like more responsive to um, poor results. Because if, if you've, if you've kind of sucked for your last 10 races, 
then signs might indicate that you're not doing that well, even if 11 months ago you got some good results. Um, so road and cross results will throw those, will unfortunately throw your old results out and look at your your newer trend more uh, acutely. Whereas USA cycling system, which ultimately is used for like rankings and staging and their national events will always count things within 12 months, at least so, as far as I understand. So when I did my last time trial at USA nationals, uh, mm-hmm. the masters nationals, I was ranked fourth overall in, in the 35 pluses. I can hundred percent guarantee you, I did not finish fourth that day, but I was sure as heck ranked fourth. Mm-hmm. How accurate are these rankings? The accuracy depends kind of on the people in the pool. So when you're at nationals, you're you're pulling together racers from all over the country that probably haven't really faced each other very often. When you know when you when you race someone, if you beat them, you're going to get lower points than them. So if if you and I, for example, raced each other on, on a regular basis, um, if I was if I was statistically significantly better than you, I'd probably beat you a bunch. And then in, in all those events, I would have scored lower points. So my average would be lower than yours. And you could really tell something from these two numbers because we had competed directly against each other a number of times. But when Rob Kelly from the mid Atlantic, you know, races some dude from Idaho and they've never met before. And there's not even like a common thread where, Oh, they both race these common opponents. You know, you're, it's like, it's like degrees of separation, right? Like the, the further you are from this guy, the less the numbers kind of mean as much where you're kind of almost in like different populations of bike racers. So that's what I would say. Like results, like the, the rankings mean a lot within your region and you want to take them with like a bigger grain of salt, the more like divergent the people you're comparing are. So who are the top men and women racers per road results in the country right now? That's a great question. So I'm going to, without, before I look, I'm going to guess it's some people that crush it at USA crits. Um, USA crits tend to get pretty highly valued because it's a race where everyone, everyone's a cat one um, and they're pretty good. So because the average quality of the race is high, if you're winning races where everybody's good, you tend to get really good points because we focus on um, amateur racing at a certain point, we actually don't have results. Like for example, tour of Utah, a guy sometimes managed to put it in. Um, other times, like you don't even find the results except on like uh, the UCI website. And like, we definitely don't collect European results, you know? So like the fastest person in the country is probably a, a road pro, you know, who's racing in Europe. And I have like no data on, you gotta, you gotta take all this like within the, the right frame. Um, well, let's see. So we're looking at, we're looking at the road results points list and our number one rider is Nigel Kinney from Langlois Brown Racing. He has raced nothing but Cat 1 2 races from wow, where is this stuff? Aldergrove, Kermess, Jeremy's Roubaix. What I'm noticing is that this dude in his last 5 races has yet to has not missed the podium. Oh my god, this is actually ludicrous. This guy has raced 11 times this year and he's missed the podium once. And what about on the women's side? Chloe Diger, heard of her? Oh, I think I've heard of her. There before. you go. There you go. So who knows? So who knows who Nigel Kinney is? Um, but Chloe Diger, at least the system works. Our, actually, it's funny. This is great. Our women's list is totally legit. We got Chloe Diger, Corner Vieira, Sam Schneider, Lily Williams, Emma White as our top five, and that's a fairly plausible top five for women in the country. I'd say well, one of the great things about running a results website is you know I've I've encountered a variety of uh, enthusiastic enthusiastic fans over the years that want to put results up you know i basically just give them the keys and 
tell him to go nuts. So this data, this, this stuff, the Nigel Kinney, turns out he's Canadian. These results are coming from Alberta. He's like dominating. He's dominating something in like the Mountain West Canada region. You know, the road racing is a team sport. Uh, right. I know that so much of it is based on people having individual results, but I mean, nobody gets there alone or very few people get there alone. What do you do with road results to kind of highlight the teams that are doing what they need to do? Right. So yeah, that was, that was one of the things that we, that I built when we uh, did road results versus cross results. Cause you know, in cross your teammates are just guys, the same kid that you're trying to beat. Um, but on the road, you actually want to work with a team and like, it's, you're capable of experiencing, you know, actual, uh, happiness when your teammates do well, um, on, on the road, we, you know, we give you some credit. We, we keep track of like teammate top fives, teammate wins, you know? So if you're in a race where your teammate wins, you know, we, we, we put that in your stats. Uh, we give you the gold water bottle next to your name. Cause of course, you know, you are instrumental in the victory, you know, as far as we can tell. Right. And, and then we also run a team points ranking, which is anytime three or more people, on the same team or in a race, then that team gets ranking points based on how the top rider finished, you know? So if, if you have a guy that wins and then the rest, you know, the rest of your team DNFs, cause yeah, I don't know, you're bringing them water bottles and lead them out and all that stuff. Uh, we give the team credit for his result and then we can aggregate, you know, over the years or over the year who, who the best teams are. So if I look at our team ranking right now, um, once again, my man, my man, Nigel, cause he's just out there killing it in Alberta. His team is actually ranked number one. Um, but then after that, we got like Floyd's Pro Cycling, Elevate KHS, Avolo, Team California. I'm not sure who they are. Project Echelon, Echelon 303 Project. So that's that's our team ranking. So, you know, that way we're telling you who's uh, who, like what teams are consistently performing the best, even if, you know, the riders are, are changing out. And it looks like we have to get down to number 36, but that's still pretty darn high for Batley Harley-Davidson, one of our Mavra teams. All right. All right. There you're, there you're big, you're big guys. Uh, we basically have about half of the super mint team that's mm-hmm. local, mm-hmm. either Lindsay or Julie. Mm-hmm. So I think we can take credit for the super mint team as well at 19th. Nice. Yeah. So your Batley is one spot behind foundation CCB, which is our, uh, our new England, you know, semi, semi pro continental, whatever, whatever, whatever the, the uh, denomination is these days for, for fast, but not world tour. So one of the things that, we need to talk about, and this brings us to chapter three, is about the concept of upgrading. Because so much of our sport is based on, you know, you beat everybody that you can possibly beat at your level, and then you move up to the next one, and then you move up to the next one and the next one, and eventually you you top out at the level where you can't beat other people anymore. And when you get down in, in the cat four and five fields, it promotion to the next level up is based on just experience but once you get up to a three and then to a two and to a one now you legitimately have to do something good the service that we have with the upgrading rules as they currently exist is you know you got this national system applied to local localities that don't necessarily work all that well all the time upgrades are such an art as much of a science there's there's almost no systemic way to to do upgrades that's fair to everyone um and that's in a way that's the problem because you want to write it up you want to write it up with rules that you know make sense and are concrete and can always you know just always be applied but at the same time there's all kinds of outliers that don't actually make that much sense within the rules give us an example what kind of outliers are we looking at 
So, I mean, I've, a great, a, a good example just would be like, let's say someone comes from like a semi-professional triathlon background and starts racing. So, I mean, the rules say you've got to do 10 cat five races. So should this person solo off the front of 10 cat five races before getting their cat four? Like, are they, are they learning to ride in a pack by riding at the front or off the front of a cat five race? If, if you, if the rules are to be trusted, then they have to, right. But does that really, does that help anyone, you know, them or the competitors to, to make them do that? You know, it's effectively a, a judgment call there. And obviously the rules take into consideration a certain level of discretion for the upgrade coordinator. Well, I mean, the rules acknowledge that discretion exists, but I don't, USA Cycling, to, the, to their credit, I believe is actually revamping some of this stuff um, right now and trying to give local associations more leeway in, in how they handle things, you know, but I don't, I don't know of anywhere explicitly in the rules where it says, you can ignore the rules. I think it's more just kind of implied and understood. Well, let's talk about it at the top end of the sport. The, the And I'm going to use the word elite, even though sometimes I use the word elite and I get in trouble from some of my friends who say, you are only elite if you're at the top level of the pro field, uh, as opposed to I'm an elite because I'm a you know, I'm a cat one or I'm Um, because I'm a, but if you're at the elite end of the sport and you want to go from the two to a one, or, you know, some cases the three to a two, if if you're racing on the women's side, are we doing it the right way right now? That's, I mean, man, that could be its own podcast. I mean, I guess the way I try to look at it is who is being harmed by someone getting an upgrade that they didn't earn or don't deserve. You know, so I feel like the down, the potential downsides to someone getting an upgrade to like cat one that they, for whatever reason, shouldn't have gotten um, is that, you know, potentially um, it devalues people that, quote, earned the upgrade the hard way. It also potentially could take spots away from other cat ones. Um, I mean, you know, there are a certain number of, you know, pro one or pro one, two events that actually sell out. Um, so having, having everyone who wants to be a cat one as a cat one, you know, then potentially deserving riders have to compete with these lesser deserving riders for those spots. You can argue that you're doing a disservice to the actual rider by, by upgrading them. You know, it's really people, people really don't want to downgrade. Um, and some people can't, uh, depending on how their particular local administration works. So I mean, the the last, the last potential for harm when you do an upgrade that you shouldn't have is that you push someone out of the sport by promoting them above their competence level. Uh, I'm sure, I'm sure in the mid Atlantic cat three to cat two to retired career path is, uh, you know, very common. I feel like a lot of people make cat two, you know, their, their goal where they've, you know, become, they've, they've like, they've become like a, the best bike racer they can be, but then, as soon as there's nothing, as soon as they, they, they cease progression in the sport, the sport stops being compelling because, you know, you, you go through your, you know, whoever, who knows how many years of toil it takes going from cat five up to cat four to cat three, and then, you know, cat two, but like, you you know, the way, the way you frame it is not, I love bike racing as much as I love getting better at bike racing and like, no one can get better at things forever. So eventually when you, when you peak uh, and cease to improve, you know, then, then you're more inclined to move on to like the next thing. Now, is there a role for using science and math and figuring out who should be in, you know, the elite races? You know, if your ranking falls below X, you should, you know, you, it's like the European or the English Premier League. Getting, yeah, getting, getting, uh, getting downgraded or upgraded based on how your rankings are. 
Right. So that's one of those things where like the, the human factors involved, like, I mean, obviously from a purely physiological standpoint, like, could you do it? Like, yes, of course, you know, you could all, you could definitely say like any cat one who's averaging, you know, higher than 300 points on the results, you know, loses their cat one, they get, they get uh, relegated down to cat two, but like, do you want to do that? Like, does it make people have more fun in their hobby? Probably not, right? Like imagine imagine like the ridiculous drama and stress that would be if you were like near the bubble and then all of a sudden you'd be terrified, terrified to race. Like, well, you know, what if you have mechanical? What if you're sick? Like I think anything that created anxiety around people participating, that would be bad. Over the years on cross results, we've gotten more and more lenient about letting people drop their bad races just because pe- once once people start to like really get invested in rankings, then the next step is to start really figuring out like what decisions you're making that are affecting your rankings. And very quickly, people realize that if you're, you know, anytime you go to a race, if you're not at your like peak performance, it's going to hurt your ranking, you know? So if like the more you care about the ranking, the more incentive that creates to never race except when the conditions are perfect. And like, that's no way to live. But I mean, that's how I get all my Strava KOMs. Right, right. Like, right. If, if you only posted rides to Strava when there was like a tailwind and you were on an e-bike, then, you know, that's what this would be. Looking at the upgrade system as it exists and, and kind of saying, is this good enough or is there ways to make it better? What would you say is your top two or three ways that we could make it better? I actually think th- this is crazy because you wouldn't expect like a math person to say this. I actually think that our... I think our upgrade system is a totally adequate framework for what it is, which is to give people something to understand and strive toward in their bike racing hobby. Um, I think, I think maybe the, the biggest problem we have and it varies region to region is upgrade coordinators that are too interested in sticking to the, the rules and the ones that want to apply the ones that want to like skip over common sense as much like, you know, to give me, to give you like my, my, my pro triathlete example, as much as we all want there to be like some clean numeric system for this stuff. Like a lot of it is more of a judgment call and and there's no like mathematical way to make things that much better. Um, I think, I think any construct that you created with math would have like a different set of pitfalls and really just increase complexity last question here because it's mid-july and we're all getting ready for the big crit season you know because now we've got summers for crits oh yeah we're coming off of tour of america's Dairyland. we've got intelligentsia cup we just came off the new england uh crit week right wake cup is around the corner redding scranton big time stuff in this half of the country we refer to it as the nebra mafia i think you refer to it as the new england unified team are we going to be seeing more of the nut? That's okay. Thank you. I wanted to make sure you pronounced that correctly. Um, yeah, the nut will definitely be in attendance at Intelligentsia. I was actually just trying to figure out this week uh, if my if my leg works enough post impalement to justify a trip out to Chicago to take uh, Mid Atlantic bike racers' money. And uh, yeah, I think we're we're going to do it. I think there's a significant nut attendance out there. Uh, New York is part of the nut. Um, anyone south of that, unfortunately, you guys will have to have your own, um, your own acronym for whatever your unified team is when you travel. But, uh, I think we were going to go with mutt. The mutt. Okay. I like that. I like that. The mutt versus the nut versus the Chicago locals. Well, we will see you out there. Thank you so much, Colin, for sure. being on this episode. All right. <laughs> Anytime, Rob. 
thank you for joining us on another episode of No Training Reels. I really hope that you enjoyed this interview with Colin Reuter. And if anybody knows Nigel Kinney or anybody from the Langlois Brown racing team, please get in touch with me. I'd love to have him or his teammates on to talk about racing in the Intermountain West and in Canada and about how they just seem to be lighting it up as the number one ranked team on road results and the number one ranked bike racer on road results. We have three more incredible episodes left in this first season of No Training Wheels. Next up is Kristen Arnold, nutritionist and coach, to talk about the vital importance of nutrition and how to fuel the athlete's body the right way. Then after that, CX Hairs himself joins us in the No Training Wheels studio. Bill's going to be here to talk about cyclocross, to talk about the transition between the road and cross season, and about downhill mountain biking, mountain bike world cups. If it's got two wheels and pedals, I'm going to hopefully ask Bill a question about it. And then the season finale. Justin Williams of Legion of LA. If you've got questions or thoughts, you know, for Justin, please send them along my way and, you know, I'll try to work it into the interview. There's just so much to talk about with him about the movement that he and his team have created. Please remember to like, share, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcast, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or anywhere that you get your podcast. And don't forget to go to the new website, notrainingwheelspod.com, for extras, for a description of shows, for a full archive of all of the episodes in Season 1. Until next time, see you at MacArthur Boulevard.